Good morning, everybody. We're glad you're joining us today. Um, we only have pre-K this morning, so elementary, you're going to be over here joining us and sticking with us, but pre-K, uh, Miss Jillian's ready to take you. If you have a pre-K kid, you can send them back there. I see Kaylee going with her, so you guys can head that way if you would like. And as we think about our kids and just what's going on in our church and where we're at in the building process, um, know that if you're a volunteer or you've been a volunteer, um, you might be getting contacted soon by your ministry team leader. We're kind of looking at this. It's almost like a relaunch. We've been on a seven-month vacation and, and counting, and, and we don't have an official launch date. That's not what I'm saying. But just be ready to be contacted by your former ministry team leaders to get back into serving, whether that's greeting or kids ministry or things that are uh, set up. There's going to be some minor setup stuff. So it's about time, like vacation's almost over, right? Um, our our eighth-month hiatus. Um, we're going to have to get things retooled. And I think it's exciting, though. We've had people from our community join us here at church. We've had people, you guys don't see them in the week, but people are coming up to the building and I caught a dad and his son like peeking in the door and I'm like, hey, you guys just want to come in and see? I'm like, yeah, what are you going to do? And I was like, it's going to be a church. And I'm like, well, we might come check it out. So I think there's going to be some opportunities to make inroads in our community that we're excited about. But with that means we have to be ready to serve and greet people and welcome them and, and bring them into our church family. So just kind of letting you know to, to start getting your mind and your hearts ready for that, that we don't know exactly when, but the park is not our permanent solution, and so we're, we're moving in that direction. Um, this week, um, obviously, you guys probably know what's going on this week. It's election day, um, so just just pray for our country. Um, pray that whatever the outcome is, people will turn turn to faith in Christ and look to Him. I know know for me, I can just I'll speak for myself and, and probably many of you you as well. Uh, sometimes we can put a little too much hope and trust in whatever the outcome of this, this election or previous election or any election and, and that that's going to be the thing that kind of turns our country around. And I think there's just a, a constant good reminder that the only hope of salvation or truly to, uh, turning our country around is, is for the people of the country to, to fall on their face before God and turn to him. It's never going to happen. For, most likely it's not going to happen from top down. It's going to happen from bottom up. And so that responsibility falls on us. So whatever the outcome, we just pray that God's at work and that he moves and that, um, you know, we're, we're trusting in him. And we're reminded of that in Daniel 2, 20 and 21. It says this, uh, blessed be the name of God forever, forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. So our trust is in him that he's in control, setting it up, whatever we vote, we pray, we want to do what we can in our country, but ultimately we're, we're not swayed off of where we stand and where we're going. Our, our faith is in, in God Almighty, not, not in any political party or leader. Uh, next week, we're going to be starting a series called Decisions That Nearly Destroyed David. If you want to read ahead and, and get prepared for that, Ron's going to be speaking in 1 Chronicles chapters 19 and 20. And you can start reading ahead for, for what that's going to be like with the decisions that nearly destroyed David. And so as we get ready to kind of jump into our, our message today, I just have some questions maybe to, to get your mind maybe thinking a little differently because these are some of the things we're going to explore and just thoughts that I want you to start maybe uh, thinking of. Uh, have we become lazy in America for standing what is right? Is it possible that, that times of persecution are coming for the American Christian or the American church to maybe awake us from our, our slumber? Um, is it possible that God's trying to get our attention, turn to him and, and just realize how little we're actually in control of things during this season? Um, and, and is persecution always a bad thing? Is sometimes it good and necessary? Um, like much of what we've read and studied throughout our time in the Beatitude, 
we, we see that once again, the cultural norms that we have are flipped on their head. Uh, for some of you as, as parents out there, this season has been different with schooling your kids and, and doing a lot more at home. I know they're kind of back to school in, in some capacity, uh, but many of you are helping them. Uh, you've, you've helped them with math recently, and, and I don't know about you, but e- even with me, one time I tried to help my kids do math, and, and Christy was having them watch a video of the math teacher teaching them a certain way, and I'm like, well, that's dumb. This is how I just taught to do it, and this is how you do it, right? Um, we just, we're, we're used, to, we, we get things set in our way. And when I know how to do it a certain way, that, that's the right way, right? Because that's how I know how to do it. That's how I'm comfortable. And maybe you've experienced that as a parent helping your kids. And like some of these things we look at, the Beatitudes, they, they go so against our cultural norms or what's naturally ingrained in us. We're like, that doesn't make sense, right? How does that make sense? I, I don't see that. I don't get that. And, and that's really going to be the case again today. As we see when we look at blessed are the persecuted. And without a biblical worldview, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. The thoughts weren't necessarily normal for us growing up. And so I I would ask you to join me. We're going to go to Matthew 5 again as we've been in these last few weeks. We're going to go to verse 10, and we have three verses today we'll be reading. And and here we find Jesus is wrapping up. This is known as the Beatitudes, um, but it's actually part of a much longer message. It was kind of his keynote address, his main message. It's the longest recorded sermon that we have of Jesus, and it's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you want to continue on. So it's kind of the introduction to his ongoing sermon, but it's the last beatitude. It's the last one we're going to look at today. And so I'm going to be in Matthew 5. We're going to read 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the first thing that stood out to me is that we're blessed when persecuted. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And as we've said many times throughout this series, blessed, its most literal meaning there is, is happy or joyful. Happy are those that are persecuted. And like I said, instantly, these things don't compute in our, in our brain, right? Generally, we don't correlate persecution into happiness or joy. We, th- we think of persecution, it, most likely we would instantly jump to a negative connotation of, that's not something I want to experience, or that's a negative. That's not anything I want in my life. And the word actually there for, for persecuted is even worse than we may even realize. It actually means in the Greek how we meant it was, you'll be harassed or you'll be hunted. A literal use of the word was saying you are going to be hunted. I don't know if any of you, I know, I just saw Sean walk up. I know he's a hunter for sure, no doubt. Um, I know some of you guys out there go hunting and are familiar with, with hunting. You're pursuing an animal to, to kill it. And, and this is Jesus' warning to say that you, this persecution in the literal sense, you're going to be hunted. So when we see that word used today, Jesus is telling his followers or the people out listening to him that you'll be blessed when you're hunted. And you could say like, well, wasn't he being a bit exaggeratory there? Um, I I don't know. If you look in in the book of Acts after Jesus' life and you look at what Saul was doing of pursuing Christians, hunting them, I don't know that he was being exaggeratory. Acts 8.3 said Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. It sounds like someone who was out hunting Christians, not an exaggeratory use of the word. He makes the same statement here 
To follow it up though, Jesus makes the same statement that he used in verse three. If you guys remember at the very beginning of this message when Ron talked about blessed are the poor in spirit, what did he follow after that? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he kind of wraps the Beatitudes up the same way he started. Those that are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those that are hunted, those that lose everything up to and including their lives at times, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, as you lose all the temporary things that provide joy on earth, you're blessed because you have something far greater awaiting you. And this is how we begin to see persecution as a good thing. Um, I was reminded of, of Matthew 13 as I was looking through this and, and preparing where the man went out in the field and he found treasure in the field. And after finding it, what did he do? He, he went and sold everything he owned to acquire that field. And when we catch a glimpse, just the slightest glance of what awaits us in heaven and eternal rewards in heaven, our earthly persecutions begin to have no value to us. And we see that as a blessing now because we're receiving eternal rewards in heaven. And this is how it be, happiness comes from persecution. Jesus is giving comfort and hope to those people listening to his message in an outdoor setting, maybe a little different landscape than this, but in an outdoor setting like this, he's giving hope and comfort to those people that are going to follow him and saying that when you follow me and you follow righteousness and you're hunted and persecuted, yours is the kingdom of heaven. There's something greater than this earth that awaits you. Um, just, just for a little clarification, I kind of want to, there's a difference in, in righteousness here. And I want to kind of just for, for understanding, I'll use two different words. I'll use earthly righteousness and eternal righteousness in light of this passage. So e- eternal righteousness is, is what we obtain upon salvation through Jesus as Savior, through our faith in Christ as Savior. In a sense, we're made eternally right before, before God. When we stand before him, he looks upon us as righteous. Through, through faith in Jesus Christ. We find it summed up well in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin uh, to be so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So basically, Jesus took on the sin that was ours. He made him without sin. So through faith in Christ, we could have no sin when we stand before God. So eternal righteousness is just secure. It's secure in Christ's work, his completed work on the cross. But there's also this form of righteousness that the word is used that ties into our daily life. It's, it's not just the completed righteousness of God, which that secures our salvation. That's a done deal. But this righteousness is something that should make us distinctly different from a world around us. See, our lives as believers should look different than those who deny the existence of God, that don't believe in his creation or as creator, that don't believe in sin, that don't believe in heaven and hell, that don't believe uh, there is salvation in Christ, that don't believe in scripture, that have no inclination to live that way. Right? Our lives should at some level be distinctly different from the world around us. So righteousness, when talking about it in this sense, the earthly sense, what does it mean? A short definition is proper conduct before God. A longer definition, a broader definition includes several different things. Integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, a correctness of thinking and acting. And so persecution of, of this, of pursuing righteousness or pursuing right behavior or pursuing proper conduct before God should almost become common for us if we're truly trying to follow him. And we kind of see that in our world a little bit. We call good evil and evil good many times, right? I don't know if you guys were familiar uh, 
back in 2017 when our current uh, president was was inaugurated and took the oath of office, they did a, an article about the vice president, Mike Pence. There was an article ran about him. And, and he began to be made fun of and mocked after this article. And they jokingly began to call this thing the Pence Rule. And the Pence Rule simply stated this, that he, he was not going to go out to eat or meet with a woman alone who wasn't his wife in order to protect his integrity and to protect her integrity. And in an era where we see so much misconduct, I'll try to be PG since we have the kids in here, we see so many things, uh, people in positions of power use that power to mistreat and misuse others. You would think like that would be applauded, Right. Here's a guy who is not having trap doors on his office with hidden lock switches to keep uh, members of the opposite sex trapped in his office. He's a guy saying, I won't even meet with them alone. And instead, he was mocked and made fun of. You know, another guy had that similar rule um, in his life. His name was Billy Graham. I found that interesting when you look at his life. Um, we, we also have a very similar rule for our own pastoral staff of that's the expectation of, of just to protect us of the appearance of evil even at times. But yet in our society, we find what? Oftentimes people who pursue doing good things or noble things or righteous things are mocked and made fun of. And I know that's minor persecution and and that's really not a big deal, a little making fun of, but the reality is how many Christians can't even handle like a little mocking if they make a stance for righteousness or a stance for doing the right thing? How many of us fold that the first time someone kind of mocks us or laughs at us for taking a stance? How are we going to stand when things get really tough? If we can't handle a little mocking, a little humiliation, maybe we're used to a little too much coddling in our lives instead of persecution. Maybe we need things a little tougher. And there's times like I'm I'm struggling with this in my own mind of thinking like seeing kind of direction and and what's happening around the world in our country. And I just think maybe God is trying to awaken us a bit and we have to change our perception of persecution See, has the pursuit of righteousness ever cost you? Have you ever been persecuted for righteousness? Or is it just go along to get along? The next thing I saw was you're blessed when others slander you for the sake of Jesus. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So initially, Jesus says you're going to be persecuted for righteousness or pursuing proper conduct. You're going to be persecuted. Now he makes the claim this is more directed to his followers in the, in the audience here. The way the language shifts, uh, if, you, if you study a little more, he's directly speaking to people who identify themselves as Christ followers. Or we might say the disciples and not just limit it to the, the 12 disciples. The broader definition of those people that were actively following Jesus. He looks at them and says, when you stand with me or you stand on my account, people are going to persecute you and say things bad about you. If you stand for Christ, they're going to revile you. They're going to utter all kinds of evil against you. So what was Jesus's account, his life? And ultimately for us, it's the gospel. You're going to be persecuted for your stance on the gospel, whether you stand for it and and believe that it's true or you don't. Um, He's still told that they'll be persecuted or hunted the way he did in verse 10. But now we also see what? That they're going to be reviled, like revulsion, this disdain. People are, can't stand you because of your stand for Christ and your faith in him. They're going to speak all kinds of evil. You'll be mocked, insulted, cursed, denounced. These are all words that kind of encompass that definition of revile. This is what people will think of you because you stand for Christ or with Christ. He doesn't need us to stand for him. We align with him. 
the Greek for all kinds of evil is basically saying people are going to say all sorts of malicious things about you. So if you take a stand for the gospel or if you, if you line up with Jesus, you align your life with his through faith in him as Savior, you should quite possibly expect people to say terrible things about you and quite possibly do terrible things to you. And yet in this, you're called blessed or happy. And, and once again, we just see the prosperity gospel falls very short on biblical accuracy, according to Jesus' own words. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's quite possible that just a short time later, these people sitting in the audience in this outdoor setting, um, within months or even within a few short years, that they began being persecuted if they stood for Jesus, for their belief in Jesus. You see, persecution of believers has been going on for over 2,000 years now, and it still continues to this day. We just haven't experienced it that much. Most of us that have grown up in our only understanding of religious freedom and opportunity comes from our experience in America. We have no real clue of persecution in the world and what it means to stand for Christ in the face of persecution. Um, according to Open Doors, it's a Christian group that tracks persecution of Christians around the world. And it says about one in eight Christians practice their faith in high areas of persecution. Um, after church, I'm going to post something on our Facebook if you're more interested in this. Um, and it just has some videos and, and stories from people around the world and what, what it looks like to follow Christ in areas of persecution. And, and it's, it's not always pleasant uh, to see this, but sometimes it's just helpful to, to kind of reorient ourselves to understand there are people that following Christ cost them dearly. That decision to follow Jesus has meaning and merit and a cost to them. And they're willing to pay that. And so sometimes it's just good to look at that. But it's story after story whose people's lives are persecuted. They're put in danger because of their faith in Jesus. And, and, and the reality was today when we, we lined up our preaching calendar, we line up our preaching calendar like a year in advance. And then it gets modified a little bit throughout the year. Um, but originally today was just supposed to be a one-off where it's where I get to speak on whatever I want to talk about. Which then you guys, then you get to really hear what I think. No. Um, <laughs> But due to some scheduling changes, um, and we didn't even know this when it happened, we, we had to alter some dates and preaching times and stuff, and we ended up talking about persecution today. And what, what was interesting is that as I started looking into this, and then Ron even came in at our prayer meeting on Wednesday and referenced it, um, today is, can you guys still hear me while the plane's going over? All right. So today is actually the, uh, the day, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. As we speak about persecution, today is the actual day that we are supposed to, as Christian churches and believers, take some time to focus and think about the persecuted church internationally and pray for them. And so I, I just did a little research, and I might put some more of this online, but just some things uh, that were suggested we pray for that maybe you can think about with your families um, when you pray tonight or at home this afternoon. Um, some of the things they recommended we pray for the persecuted church this year um, are COVID-19 restrictions th that are making it very difficult for survival in some third world countries. Um, we've had minor economic impact. There's people in third world countries losing their lives. And so they said, just pray for them. Pray for Christians under government surveillance. And this one was really talking about China and India in particular that have India has seen just a huge spike in persecution over the last five to 10 years from where it used to be a lot more welcoming to Christians to where the persecution rates have, have continued to rise there. Another one was pray for Christians under the threat of Muslim extremism. 
This was mainly hitting on countries in sub-Saharan Africa and the Middle East. And there's a few other countries referenced there, but those were the main ones. Um, Another one was pray for Christians under attack and threatened with violence. And this was uh, really talking about North Korea, Somalia, Nigeria, Afghanistan. I know Ron knows some, uh, a guy, a friend from college in Nigeria where this, this is very real. I mean, people they love and care for uh, face threats of violence and have even been killed for their faith in Christ. And so it's just a, a reminder to, to think about those countries and pray for them today on this International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. You know, we have people all around that following Jesus cost them. Persecution is still very real and, and alive. And these people that choose to align their life with Jesus quite, uh, quite possibly invite that into their lives. Are, are, we, are we willing to do that? I, I wonder for myself, uh, what, what would my faith be like if it cost me something? like these other believers, when you, when you just do a, a little glimpse of what some of these people in the world face, what would my faith be like if I faced some of that? Would I still follow Jesus if it cost me something? What if it cost me my job? Or what if it cost me my home or my life or my family? You know, we, we don't, the reality is we, we don't face that choice really here, but, but perhaps there's a day coming would we believe Matthew 5.11 enough to know that we're blessed if that's the case? Or would we tuck tail and say, no, it's not for me. I'm out. And Jesus tells those people that in just a few short chapters in the Bible and just a few years later are facing the likes of Saul, who's pursuing him from house to house, dragging him off to prison, executing believers, and is saying, you're going to be blessed if that's you. And then lastly, we see You should rejoice if that's the case because you're in good company. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, if we are part of this group of persecution, what are we told to do? Rejoice and be glad. Your reward is great. That's just really difficult though, right? For us to see beyond our earthly lives. No, we we, we have it so good. It's hard for us to see that. We lose sight of the eternal rewards. And Jesus reminds his followers of heaven. He tells them about the prophets that were persecuted. You see, we have the completed scripture. We know that it wasn't just the prophets that were persecuted, but it was the disciples were persecuted. The apostles were persecuted. Jesus himself was persecuted. So we understand that this this, this lineage or this history of persecution didn't just end at the prophets or those believers. That's still taking place today. And we see you're supposed to rejoice Because you're in good company, your reward is great in heaven. And this word here for reward, the Greek word for reward actually means the dues or wages paid for work. I don't know if you guys have ever had a coach or a boss who would tell you, you have to pay your dues. Perhaps you've been told that. I remember being told that as a wannabe athlete in high school, like you have to pay your dues, right, to be successful, and, and you want the reward of winning so bad, you crave success and you crave winning so bad that you're willing to pay those dues to get whatever that earthly goal or that goal or accomplishment you want to, to achieve. Well, how much greater is the reward that our heavenly father has for us in eternity? You see, if we're driven to achieve some athletic success or uh, uh, career success, we want to pay our dues so we can achieve this, so I can get to this level and, uh, and be this, and we're willing to pay whatever dues it takes to get there, how much greater of dues, in a sense, should we pay seeing that eternal reward that awaits us? And yet we find it's often very easy to pursue the earthlier than temporary, and it's very hard to pursue the eternal. 
And Jesus here tells us, pursue the eternal. Something much greater, you rejoice, you have the kingdom of heaven, eternal rewards await you. Paul reminds us to live in light of eternity in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. He says this, so do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this is light and momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, we should be in pursuit of eternal rewards, not our earthly ones. We need to live in light of eternity and not always the here and now. And, and it's really difficult for us because in a sense, we, we've been so Americanized, right? It's, it's hard for most of us to even understand like the smallest level of rejoicing and persecution. Sometimes we just have it so earthly good that, that, that it's just a greater struggle in our country. And I love our country, but I've also been to other countries and, and where people have nothing and, you, and they're, their worship of the Lord, their desire to follow him um, puts ours to shame in many ways. And yet they have nothing that we have. Historically, some of the greatest explosions of the gospel have come from the times of greatest persecution. Oftentimes out of the, the greatest amounts of pressure where people are getting squeezed, you see these gospel explosions happen. Even now in places like India and China, the gospels at work in massive ways in these countries and the persecution continues to mount. And as the persecution mounts, the gospel continues to flourish and people are turning to Christ in massive amounts of numbers in these countries. And yet it's not easy for them. So why, how is that even possible? And I think it's this, they see the eternal and they're willing to sacrifice the temporary for the eternal. They see something beyond themselves, beyond their life here on earth. They've, they, they've perhaps caught more of a greater glimpse of heaven because of their lack of what they have on earth, that they see this. So just, just a few application questions for us today on these points. Do you stand for righteousness? You see, you'll never be persecuted for righteousness if you never stand for it. A commentary I read on, on, on righteousness made this statement. Opposition should be the normal marking of being a disciple. Are we ever opposed you know, often Christians, we've become really good at becoming modern-day chameleons. We, we change to fit in at the risk of offending people. So I constantly change and adapt so I can fit in and not stand out. And the reality is, to some level, we need to stand out. If we live in a fallen and sinful world, as I said at the beginning, our lives should be different. There should be something abnormal about us. If the world is not normal by any biblical standard, we should stand out in some way. Our marriages, our homes, our parenting, our stance on moral, moral issues. You know, there should be differences if we're pursuing righteousness in our, walk, in our walk with the Lord. You know, if the world is all too eagerly going along with you, you might need to double check your calibration. Where's your heart? Are you pursuing righteousness before God and your walk with the Lord. Uh, logically, the only way you're going to be persecuted for righteousness is if there's this pursuit of righteousness in your life. We're never going to be persecuted for it if we never pursue it. So are we pursuing righteousness in our life? The next thing I looked at was, do you stand firmly for the gospel? Jesus says you'll be persecuted for his account, for aligning with him. For us, that would be aligning with him in salvation. The first way that we align with Jesus is, is salvation, is admitting we're a sinner in need of a savior. 
believing he died on the cross and rose from the grave and choosing to place our faith in him alone as Savior. That's the very first step to standing for the gospel. And I don't even like that term, but I keep using it. But I, I, I don't think we necessarily have to stand for it. it. It exists. It's just we align with the truth that exists through Jesus Christ. We change ourselves. We don't stand up and make the gospel true. We just align with the truth that exists. But are you a believer in Jesus? The second one is, if, if you are, are you standing firmly for the gospel? We don't move off his account or the gospel. We're not swayed to be more culturally comfortable. We don't want the gospel to shift to be uh, more culturally relevant in a sense. We can present it in a way that people understand, but we don't change the gospel to make it culturally comfortable. We stand firmly on the truth of who Jesus is and what he did. And this, in, in the reality, we, we talked about this a little the other night. This is, this is the most vital role of church leadership. Prayer for the church and correctness of, of accurate preaching of the gospel. That, that's one reason you have pastors and elders is to protect this truth and not sway off of it. That we stand firmly on that, making sure we do not change the gospel message at any pressure or whim of the world around us. That we align with Jesus and not the world. And so that means that when persecution begins to come, and, and maybe it comes in my lifetime and maybe it doesn't, I don't know. But if it comes that we're strong enough as church leadership to say it doesn't matter, that we align with Jesus, we accurately preach the gospel and teach the gospel. And if that costs us something, Lord willing, then we say that costs us something and we're willing to make that cost. And hopefully you as people in our church stand up and, and make that statement as well. It's vitally important, though, as church leadership, we've bought into that and said, we're not swaying off the gospel message, no matter what the world around us tells us to do. Blessed are those that are persecuted for the account of Jesus. In Colossians 2, it talks about this reality um, of trying to be persuaded away from your faith by human logic. Uh, we talked about this in youth group a few weeks ago, and it's not just teenagers, but I use this example now. I've been in youth ministry long enough, uh, uh, 17 years now. Um, you, you've, you've done it long enough that you see teens who grow up in Christian homes, and you see teens who have placed faith in Christ that when they get up and, and, and they begin to get a little older, completely drift and sway away from that. Sometimes it happens just with the first bit of persecution or mockery they face. Um, and it's not, it's not just teens. It's just easier for me to see teens because that's who I, I interact with more. But Paul warns about this concern for all of us believers in Colossians 2, 6 through 8. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. See, we've got to make sure our faith is rooted and it's standing firm on the gospel. And, and really, I think perhaps we need to adjust our expectations for ourselves and maybe even adjust the things we're teaching the generation behind us. See, our, our kids might need to know that it's okay if they're mocked or spoken evil of or persecuted for their faith in Christ, that according to the Bible, it, it says even they're blessed. So maybe we as Christians and in a Christian community, maybe we've got to start developing a little more of a backbone when this happens in our life and understand that that's okay. I don't always have to apologize. I don't always have to be sorry. I don't always have to fit in with culture. It's okay if there's times I stand out because I've aligned with Jesus. It's okay if my life is distinctly different. It's okay if this person 
says some main things. But so often we want, we want our kids comfortable, right? And I know that generally I do as a parent. We want the best for our kids. And so this is conflicting in our lives. We want them free from harm. But what if they never learn to stand up and endure something because of some ridicule? What happens then when, when, when they leave home and they're ridiculed and mocked constantly for their faith? And all we've ever done is shelter and protect and keep any sort of see mocking and ridicule as just this terrible negative thing. And we can't have it at all in our life. And we can't let our kids ever experience that because it's just so terrible. And, that, and then all of a sudden, that's all they get. Oh, you're a Christian? Here, guns come out. And they have no idea how to stand up for themselves or how to take it and be like, that's okay. You can ridicule me. I'm okay. I'm blessed, actually. I go back to Matthew 5, and Jesus says, I'm blessed because I'm aligning myself with him. So maybe we've got to reshift our formulation of persecution and understand that it's okay at times. In fact, it should be expected as believers. The last thing, are you living for eternal rewards or are you living for earthly recognition? See, for the most part, the prophets and apostles got very little earthly recognition. I would say for, for most of them, they're more well-known and respected now in the modern church than they ever were respected or well-known in their actual life. Many were persecuted. Most of the apostles were put to death. Um, the, the vast majority of them were executed for their faith in Jesus, but they lived for something that was greater than themselves. They, they had to believe in this eternal home. Otherwise, why would they do this? There had to be something far beyond what they were experiencing here on earth. Hebrews eleven thirty six through 48 said it this, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was, what was promised since God had provided something better for us. You see, these unnamed heroes of the end of Hebrews chapter 11 were following the Lord no matter what it cost. They saw something greater than just their life on earth and just what they had before them. They had caught a glimpse of eternity. So do we crave earthly recognition and acceptance so badly we give up our eternal rewards? You know, what, what are we clinging to so greatly that keeps us from following after Jesus? What do we just hold on to so tightly that we won't let go of? Is it our own pride and our own ego? Because pe uh, people can't make fun of me. If someone says something bad about me, if someone says something negative about me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I gotta give that up. I can't endure that. I can't endure any negativity or any criticism. So I, I can't stand for the righteousness there or I can't continue to stand for the gospel. That's not culturally comfortable. I gotta let go of that. Or do we cling to those things, trusting there's an eternal reward that awaits us blessed for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We've been doing a men's uh, group. It meets twice a month on Tuesdays. And, and in the first session, there was a pastor uh, named Crawford Loritz. And he made this statement. It stood out to me. I wrote it down after that night and I've kept it. 
And he said this, don't mistake courage and greatness for recognition. Don't mistake courage and greatness for recognition. And, and I think in our social media, instant hype society, we so often do that. We equate being known as like being great. Um, I listened to this stupid thing on the radio. Oh, so it just irritated the heck out of me. And it talked about someone who had made a difference in his community. And I looked at my wife and I like visibly, like I almost wanted to throw up. You want to know how he made a difference in his community? He got a hashtag trending and they said he's made an impact in his community. I thought, no, he hasn't. He had some people look at their phone for a few minutes. Who cares? It didn't make an impact on anyone's life. Lottie, duh. Um, but this is how we've like equate like greatness in our society now. And it's like sickening almost, right? And they were saying, oh, look, he's, he's done this courageous thing. He posted this thing and now it's trending. And, and, and I'm just like, wow, our definition of greatness has really changed in our society, hasn't it? And then, then a few weeks later, I came to that men's study and I heard that statement, don't mistake courage and greatness for recognition. Man, if we're gonna follow Jesus and we're gonna pursue him and pursue faith in him and pursue righteousness and pursue accuracy of the gospel, you know what? The world may never know your name. Most likely, they won't know us from Adam. But it makes a difference. That's courage and greatness in the Christian life. Mom and dad, when you live for Jesus in your home, when you live for Jesus at your job. You know, we need those unknown heroes of Hebrews 11 that say, I'm willing to live for Jesus no matter what. And so when I'm persecuted, I can say I'm blessed because mine's the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of Clifton. It's not our earthly kingdom that we're pursuing. It's something far greater than that. So when I'm persecuted, I'm blessed. I'm joyful. I'm happy. Why? Because I see something greater than myself. And I'm not doing it because I expect any recognition here on earth. There's a high likelihood that following the Lord is not going to lead us to earthly recognition. But we desperately, desperately, desperately need people in our churches and our communities who are willing to live for him and follow him. And don't care what that brings. And when they're persecuted, they think I'm blessed. I'm happy. I'm joyful. I'm teaching my kids. When I'm persecuted for doing the right thing, it's okay. I don't just cave. I don't just give in. I don't just abandon the gospel because it's not culturally comfortable. That we're going to do things a little differently and that's okay. We need these unnamed heroes to stand up. We don't know the, you know, we, we know very few of the characters referenced in Matthew chapter 5, right? We know Jesus and we know some of his, the disciples, like the 12 disciples that we know. We know, we know some of them were present. Beyond that, we almost know no one was there the name of anyone who was there. They're not recognizable. They're not written for all eternity in, in the Bible. But they went out from this point in these next few years, those people who followed Jesus, what happened to the gospel message? And it exploded around the world. So much so that at some level over 2,000 years later, here it penetrates to Oakdale, California. But they were the unnamed heroes. And if your desire to follow Christ is to become famous, you, you probably should do something else or go pursue that a different route. But if your desire is to live for him, regardless of what's going on around you, and you're going to stand up and be counted, 
I think that's a lot more the reality of the Christian life we face. So we started with some of those questions. What is it going to look like in a few years? We have no idea. I just think back, like my lifetime, I'm starting to sound like that babbling old man that I used to make fun of, right? Of like, how much has changed in my life? And then all of a sudden, here I am, and you see it, though, and it feels like, it feels like to some degree it's accelerating, right? That all of a sudden, following Jesus, is, it's this high likelihood in the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years, that is not going to be as comfortable as it was for us the previous 30, 40, 50 years. Where if we want people to continue to follow him, I look around at people like my son and these other kids sitting in service, and it's like, we have to teach them to endorse some of this because it's coming our way. It's happened in many other countries. Are we willing to stand for the faith, to align ourselves with Christ, endure persecution, and at the end of all that, say, I'm blessed? Let's pray. Lord, we're, we're grateful that we can look forward to eternity. We're grateful that our hope should not be in this world or the things of this world, but it should be in you. Uh, Lord, help us to even grasp some of these hard truths from the Beatitudes that uh, when we're poor in spirit, when we humble ourselves, when, when we're meek, when we're persecuted, we're blessed. These don't always make like rational sense to us, Lord, but we acknowledge uh, you have a very counterculture look on things. So Lord, help us to balance. We don't, we don't want to be obnoxious just to try to get ourselves persecuted, but we do want to stand firm on the truth of your gospel. We do want to stand on the side of righteousness. So help us to be able to make those stands and when persecuted to understand we're blessed because we have something far greater awaiting us. In Jesus' name, amen.